0: Good afternoon, everyone, welcome, um, and welcome to our fifth and the final episode of the first set of our Inspire series. Um, this is a particularly challenging time that we are going through. Um, and whilst we all need to remain committed to our businesses, we all need to look for some inspiration in our day-to-day activities. So thank you all for making the time today to come and join us in what promises to be yet another very inspirational, an insightful um, episode um, run through the IOCO um, Inspire series. Last week we hosted John Flismith, former comedian, now lecturer and businessman, where he shared some of his experiences um, at the Henley Business School um, and he spoke a little bit about why adaptability is critical even during good times. This week we would like to extend a very, very warm welcome to Anton Musgrave, founder of Future World International. Anton is no stranger to the EOH family, and today he will be engaging us on the topic of leadership in an exponential world. Please can we ask that everyone post their questions and their comments in the chat option for Anton, and we will deal with that later um, in the conversation. Um, And with that, I'm very excited for the next hour and would like to hand over to our international speaker, Colin Owls of um, Innovation Catalyst, who will be facilitating the conversation today. Over to you, Colin, thank you.
1: Thank you very much, Fatima. And um, we'll do our best to make this inspirational as it is titled the Inspire Series. And if we're gonna have any fighting chance of doing that, we've got the best possible guest on the panel with Anton. If you don't know Anton, he is one of the most inspirational speakers that I've ever come across. As you said, Fatima, you know, he's the CEO, founder, one of the co-founders of uh, Future World. Um, and I've been following them and engaging with them for several years now. For me, it was life-changing when I first met Anton a number of years back to get his perspective, a very different perspective on what you need to do if you're going to be a leader in an exponential world. So all that's to come because we're going to be quizzing Anton about exponential leadership. But to all our participants, Welcome. I'm gonna throw up a poll very quickly, which it would be fantastic to get your initial views before we get started, and also to test whether polling is gonna work on Zoom. I'm launching it now. It's a very simple yes or no question. I'm very curious to see what the answers are. Um, The other thing, of course, would be great you can do is um, in your chat, just say hello to everyone else, just make sure that's working. And then as we go through this, please do ask your questions. You will get them answered quicker, if at all, um, if you put it through the Q&A functionality, but whether you put it in the Q&A or in the chat channel, we will try to go and get to it. Anton, while
2: they're answering the poll, welcome. Colin, thanks very much. It's great to be here. and am really, really looking forward to the session. I had a, a quiet chuckle to myself when uh, Fatima mentioned the previous speaker was uh, a former comedian. I hope uh, I'm not the current comedian. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we had uh, John Blismas on. It was excellent. Very different
1: perspective, uh, yeah. but fascinating, fascinating. I asked him uh, what skills you need to be a comedian, and um, I thought it was telling. <laughs> you basically have to be born into it an extremely um, self-conscious, manically depressed, worried about life in general. Otherwise, there's no way that you're going to go and become a comedian at any point in time. But he, he was a fascinating. He had the story about how they've been transforming Uh, Henley Business School and within 12 or 13 days they really took it from a very standard model to a kind of Online model and I think it's an incredible story. Anyway, that was last week's story. We're doing exponential leadership I'm going to end the poll and and share it because the first question for you Anton is Do you believe that we're living in an exponential world? Uh, Colin
2: for me, it's it's absolutely uh, A resounding very positive. Yes, Uh, I think uh, so many things have changed and You know, if you just think about the definition of linear or the difference between linear and exponential uh, and a very simple sort of calibration point is if you take uh, 30 linear steps, you sort of land up uh, up the corridor where the espresso machine is, which is not a bad place to be, but that's how far you get when you take one, two, three, four, only 30 of those linear steps. But if a human took 30 exponential steps, in other words, the first step was one, the second step was two meters, the third step is four meters, and the fourth is eight, et cetera. Uh, and you still only take 30 of those steps. You actually end up traveling 26 times around the plant. Just kind of get that in your mind in terms of the, the scale difference between linear and exponential. And in in almost every single dimension that we'll unpack uh, this afternoon, We are seeing exponential differences between the world today and the world, you know, certainly five, maybe even certainly 10 and 20 years ago, and we'll unpack them, I'm sure, one by one. Yeah, let's go go into that, because I mean, I, I
1: talk to a lot of experts, as you do, and I talk to a lot of leaders in business, and quite often you walk away with the feeling that they're not seeing the same thing that we're seeing. So let's go and have a look at some of the areas. Let's... Let's start with some technologies. Which are the technologies that you think have really revolutionized you know, business already? So we've already been going through exponentialism for, say, the last decade or so.
2: Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, the, the, the sort of fundamental technology that's changed everything, Colin, and it's pretty generic, uh, is nothing more complex than just connectivity. You know, we, we're sitting in the world today with seven and a half billion people and uh, almost four billion of those now are using Uh, 4G at least uh, smartphone devices to connect to each other and to the system and so on and so forth in the next few years that number will probably rise to virtually every single person on the planet so just the notion of global connectivity between billions of citizens who can now collaborate can engage can create movements uh, way outside their sort of jurisdictional territories Uh, that influence and shape uh, behavior, uh, the market, uh, social responses, politics, for that matter. Uh, So to me, that's been one of the most profound general changes, if you like. And, you know, if you think when when I started my career in law uh, many decades ago, we were the first firm to have um, a fax machine. And uh, you'll recall that the fax machine on its own was pretty useless until someone else had a fax machine. And then the more fax machines, the more useful it became. And and today, I mean, you know, that was the world of connectivity in the early or mid-1970s. Connectivity today has just uh, blasted all of those rules out of the water. Uh, And I think some politicians, uh, Barack Obama was one of the first global leaders to understand the power of this connectivity and what it means to talk to individual citizens and raise money, and by the way, very small amounts of money to fund these election campaigns. But he was the first one that's understood this exponential impact of connected individuals. And he tapped into that, uh, you know, positively.
1: And then what, what are we expecting over the next, you know, five or six years? Because connectivity really does allow many things to go and change. And we've got this additive effect of so many other technologies that are starting to come in and benefiting from this connectivity.
2: So, so where connectivity is changing is really fascinating. You know, on, on the one hand, we've got the shift towards 5G and no, we don't need to burn the towers down. Uh, and of course, in t- by 2028, 20, we'll probably have 6G, but the difference between 4G and 5G is not a 25% enhancement in speed. 5G literally is for the first time in history, real time data transmission with zero latency. So this opens up a massive new realm of, of opportunity. Think about you know, virtual reality, augmented reality, the kind of beam-me up Scotty moment uh, is not far off the horizon. Uh, and that changes the game. Uh, it means that businesses can now engage in real time with the entire supply chain, the entire ecosystem with zero latency. Uh, And that uh, that introduces a host of new opportunities. If you combine that with the shift towards internet of things, or as I like to say, internet of absolutely everything, uh, with the cost and size of data transmitting sensors plummeting uh, and the power of these sensors, the programmability of these sensors, uh, increasing. You're now getting a merger of the animate world, which is humans connected through their mobile phones and other devices, and the inanimate world, the connecting the world of objects. And I see a future not that far away where 30 or 40, maybe 50 percent of every object ever manufactured will come standard with data transmitting sensors embedded in them. And when these uh, inanimate objects uh, or things start talking to each other, start talking to us, talking to enterprise systems and so forth uh, the world of real-time insightful data gets enormously exciting
1: okay so we've got 5g we've got VR AR um, we've got IOT where do we get the energy from to go and use these
2: particular devices I know where we don't get it from in this country but we're not going to mention the e-word at all are we (laughs) Look, I, I, and and this is one of the, the other big transitions, and uh, it's it's what I've been speaking of for about five years now. I talk about the collisions in the world between the old world and the new world, and one of these big collisions is the collision between the carbon energy industry and the renewable energy industry, and and, and the only reason, to my mind, that the renewable uh, factor or faction has not gained even more superiority is the trillions of dollars invested in the old carbon energy industry that are fighting for renewed relevance, but are kind of losing the game. And I think even the majors are now conceding that they need to write off billions of dollars on the annual balance sheets every year, uh, you know, because they're just not ever going to get a return on, on so-called stranded assets. But um, energy in the future is going to be really interesting because it's going to plummet in price and it's going to grow in accessibility. So. What renewable does is it changes the game again. If you take energy as a cost in production, it's going to decline um, after some years, uh, certainly after the initial capex, but even the initial capex in renewable is coming down. So imagine a world in 2030 where energy is ubiquitously available at very low cost, certainly much lower than today. And, And that again changes the nature of the game. Couple that, of course, with things like uh, additive manufacturing, 3D manufacturing, uh, or 4D or 5D manufacturing. And it changes how much energy we actually need to consume in big factories. So you'll remember, Colin, that one of the big arguments around uh, for carbon energy and coal-fired power stations, you know, is the need for so-called baseload to the, to drive industries that require heavy drawdowns of energy to fire furnaces, blast furnaces, and so forth. But when you change the nature of manufacturing to additive manufacturing, you need far less in terms of big drawdown of energy, because you're manufacturing in a completely different way using different technologies. So the entire energy game, I think, is, is uh, going to be an exciting uh, and very different one, certainly for those countries that understand that. So we've got prices um, falling exponentially. We've got... Um, output
1: capacity, access, increasing exponentially across a lot of the texts that you've just mentioned. Let's just bring in um, artificial intelligence to round it off and uh, complete our sort
2: of circle of virtuous technologies. Yeah, so, you know, there's so many uh, sort of different forms of artificial intelligence, but, I mean, let's sort of keep it really simple. I need to anyway, because, you know, as a former lawyer, I'm not a technology expert or PhD in engineering. But uh, if you think of it just as the smart understanding and use of information. Um, it's, it's really a world of uh, increasingly capable algorithms. Algorithms that are capable of understanding vast quantities of data in real time, uh, drawing inferences and logic out of this data set, and then implementing actions about pre-programmed, pre-written into a system to automate systems. That's how I would describe it, I guess, to, to a layperson um but it's 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 nothing other than all the information we've ever had it's now exponentially larger it's more detailed and it's the ability to interpret it to act on it and to automate many of these actions Uh, and yes they're the scaremongers elon musk one of my heroes is one of them who says you know it's it's a dark science and it's going to take over humankind and um i i don't i don't believe that at this stage at least not for the next 20 or 30 years
1: cool now Let's think about the uh, impact, by the way, on the survey, I think 82% of those that responded said that they also believe the world is exponential. But I thought it was important um, to kick this off because it's a fairly fundamental question to the, uh, the next part that we're going on to. And so we've, we've got all these technologies that are uh, certainly fascinating from a consumer perspective. Do they have any impact in the business world? Are you seeing anything, are you
2: predicting anything? <laughs> Colin, I'm intrigued by why you think there's a difference between the consumer world and the business world. I mean, let's just, uh, you know, respond first off by saying, if there's a difference for the consumer, absolutely, by definition, there's an impact on the business world. Uh, Unfortunately, of course, very often, uh, business leaders don't see that connection as closely as they should be seeing it. And so, you know, you, you remember also, we used to have this conversation about a B2B business and a B2C business, and they're different and the rules are different and so forth. And I've always been kind of tickled by that because I've wondered where the heads of CEOs are that think that a customer experience in the B2C world won't have an impact on their business in the B2B world at some stage. You know, if you're a CEO of a B2B um, uh, relationship and you order something, let's say, from Amazon uh, online and you get this incredible service experience uh, and that's great. And yes, it's just because you wanted a new golf club and it worked and it's brilliant. Why does the CEO of the B company that you're dealing with the next morning not think that your brain has now been sensitized to what incredible experience is all about? And why would you tolerate a slow, clanky kind of engagement model in the B2B world? So to me, they're absolutely one and the same thing. And and I think in, in the world of big business, and it's interesting, I was reflecting this morning, thinking about the names of big companies that I think have responded remarkably well um, overtly and in a very engaged way with their customer base during COVID, and I have to tell you, I found it quite difficult to come up with um, the names of very large companies that have done that. And you know, I'm not for a moment saying they haven't done wonderful things. Uh, you know, from sponsoring, you know, pick and pay feeding, sponsoring feeding schemes for for young children and hungry people, and so forth. You know, the banks said you know you'll have a payment holiday etc you know they're not writing off the payment and they're still charging interest on the money you haven't paid so yes it's a short-term accommodation but has there been really a profound response to a a crisis uh, an emergency and it's difficult uh, to come up with too many of these names so
3: because i
1: know that internationally there's been some fantastic press on some companies that have been doing incredible things
2: I don't know if um, we've just missed the press in south africa yeah no, i i don't i don't think so i mean if, if my own experience personally of, of some of the big companies and, and and some of them that have always traded off you know customer relationships have been decidedly bad in um, yet i've come across a number of any number of smaller enterprises some micro enterprises that have been absolutely remarkable in fact they've been remarkable not just because of how they've engaged but with the speed with which they've able they've been able to significantly enhance their entire operation even as a one person show uh, which which has been really interesting so you know they've been able to build uh, an e-commerce experience system that is way more profound and way more impactful than the ex- online experience of some major major retailers and yet they're just small operations, two, three, four people. Um, how have they been able to do that? Well, it's not that they've suddenly found millions to employ smart people. It's that the cost of doing some of this is really plummeting. The process of the plug and play models, the off the shelf tools, etc., the open source stuff is all available. And, and what it means is that if it's accessible to a four man or four person business, it's accessible to a multinational, right? The thing is in the thought process, so in the mind of the entrepreneur they really think through very quickly and very humanly what are the experiences i want to create for my uh, customer at every single digital touch point and then they're going to find these cheap or almost free tools to go and create that experience and bang they're an online enterprise delivering an experience that some of the very big players you know with huge i.t departments don't seem able to do it so let's let's go back to that question before
1: though so um customers and businesses we've got all these exponential technologies we think the uh, rate of change is going to just get faster in all honesty because they're so complementary these technologies do companies have to change the way that they do business
2: yes absolutely and how, so?
1: And how so because you know i always look at it and think that um, maybe we'll take the anti-argument to start with maybe they don't they've got balance sheet they've got resources they've got human capital they've got uh, IP and intelligence, they've got distribution networks, uh, they've got well-old machines there for efficiencies within their organization, there's barriers to entry, economies of scale. They've got so many advantages and now all these technologies come along and you just go, wow, here's an opportunity to actually just go and use these in ways unimaginable to us perhaps today and do incredible things. And yet time and again, we see the kind of examples of the Kodaks and the Blockbusters you know, and many more over the last couple of, uh, well, the last couple of years, there's been some phenomenal um, disruption across industries. Why aren't they why aren't they getting their hands stuck in and, and making these changes? <laughs> what should the changes be, perhaps? Let's, let's start with that one. I think mean, it's a, you know, let's start with the uh, precipice that there needs to be a change. But what is it? What is the perfect company, Anton, for this exponential world? I
2: think the, I mean, and, and, and by the way, you've left off one very important reason that why they haven't, you know, changed uh, or don't, maybe don't need to change. And, and that is momentum. These big organizations kind of almost succeed despite themselves. But, but what has shifted, and I think it's, it's absolutely accelerated because of the, the sort of COVID experience. And, and by the way, you know, in my mind, COVID-19 is um, it's big and it's real and it's scary and it's not going away very quickly. Uh, but it's just the beginning. There will be a COVID-20 and COVID-2021 probably in the next, you know, 10, 15 years. Uh, There will be environmental equivalents of COVID-19 that are going to be happening and so forth. But what COVID-19 has created is an awareness in the minds of consumers, customers, uh, ordinary people, A, that money is not infinite and growth and real uh, growth is is not a given. Uh, It's raised an awareness of value and it's created, I think, a deep seated awareness of which relationships in our lives are important? Not only at a personal level, and that's been pretty obvious. You know, you know, kind of who your friends are when you can't see them and they can't pop around to drink your good wine. But do they call you to see how you're doing or not? But also from a, um, a supplier point of view, from a from a from a business point of view, which are those companies that have been have have clearly tried to work with me as the customer, that have tried to enhance my experience, that have tried to listen and respond appropriately. Um, and so where am I going to spend my dollars going forward and in a world of increasing choice uh, I think organizations are gonna have to think very carefully about how they engage what the value proposition is uh, and how they execute and so uh, I can't think of a single industry that is not going to have to quite significantly change how they do business Uh, and then there's the obvious shift in you know business models what's valuable in the old world is Becoming commoditized and cheap and free and accessible in the new world, so what sets you apart? Um, and, and the one question that I'm, you know, that I have asking uh, leadership teams is: Imagine your business was vaporised this afternoon, just disappeared today. What would your customer base miss in the morning? And it's probably got nothing to do with your product because, again, there's you know any number of organisations that can step in and supply whatever it is or a close. Alternative to your product. So, what is it about your business and engagement model that makes you relevant and important, and woven into the mind and hearts of the customer? And I think all of that is changing. So, uh, Colin, well, I'd really want.
1: Anton, is it really more important?
2: Because, you know,
1: these ideas of customer centricity and you know placing the customer at the heart of your game plan—they've been around for you know decades. You know, consultants have been writing about this forever. Yep. Is this technological revolution? making it even more important or is it just the same level of importance as it always was and you know and we're just bad at doing it on average across corpus?
2: yeah colin you know i'm always bemused by this notion of customer centricity and you're right it's been around forever and it should be banned actually because it's become meaningless you know companies say we're customer centric and we you know and then they put you onto a call center and the first expression you hear is we value your custom please hold on and then there's some lousy music that you can, you know, that's unclear and crackly starts playing for seven minutes or 17 minutes or whatever it is. And so, you know, yeah, we've spoken about it forever and it's been around and it's been taught. But have we really understood it? And for me, the issue has got nothing to do with technology. Technology is just the enabler. I think, and, and, and you know, we'll talk about sort of attributes of future relevant leaders. But, you know, I would say that it's time that leadership sits down and thinks as a human being, about what the customer experience really is. It's high time that leaders actually just put themselves through their own processes as a customer, Um, not phoning in to say, hi, this is your CEO. I'm here to to test, you know, what our store is doing today, kind of thing. But do it as the sort of mystery shopper. Um, And I think most CEOs, many CEOs would be appalled at, what the rest of the customer base has to experience. So to me, customer centricity, uh, Colin, um, is not about the technology, it's about thinking through a human lens. And, and again, COVID, COVID has brought this humanness to the fore. We've been talking about it for a while, You know, when we talk about future success metrics, you know, should it just be PE ratios and profitability and size and quantifiable um, uh, success metrics, or, or are there other ways of measuring success in the future? And Increasingly, the debate, whether it's about capitalism, whether it's about Wall Street, um, you know, and Jamie Dimon and his group of merry CEOs saying there's a shift. Uh, It's actually about humanism. And there's one thing I think that we as leaders need to understand. In this world of technological explosion, it's easy to hide behind the tech. It's easy to embrace and harness the tech. And if we're not careful, tech will take over our lives. Uh, And there's a growing realization that the tech, we mustn't become the tech. We must actually accentuate what it means to be deeply and profoundly human, um, enhance that, celebrate that, bring that to the fore in our business models and use the tech simply as a back-end execution enabler.
1: What sort of business models do the, the leaders need to be looking at then? I mean, we're living in this VUCA exponential world, volatile, uncertain, you know, complex, ambiguous, and things are moving quickly. It's, you know, yeah they are having to change on a dime. Organizations that are doing well in that space, presumably, are not the same as the big complex siloed structures that you know, we've seen been successful for the last couple of decades.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I think from a business model point of view, Colin, it's all about understanding what is really valuable. And it's understanding it with two very important caveats. The one is, from a customer lens, what is really valuable? Not what you do at what cost and therefore pricing the margin and sell it at that number. But from a customer lens, what is really valuable? What is the experience or the utility uh, all about? And, 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 um, and, and what will they, will they pay for that? Um, and, and then it's understanding how to deliver that in a way which rewards the innovation, the, the capital investment, the risk taking, the execution skills, all of that but in a way where your interests as the producer of whatever this is are aligned as closely as possible with your end cons- customer and consumer. And so there's this appreciation of value and there's an alignment around that. And it's the merger of the two that then creates new business models.
1: All right. Um, so let's put this into brass tacks. I'm sitting on the board and we're about to employ a, a new CEO. Okay. Big company, multinational listed. What kind of, uh, attributes, should we now be looking for, for this new set of CEOs to go and deal with that company in this new challenging VUCA exponential world? <laughs> Let's start trying to list a few and maybe there's a few board members out there that it will help them to go and get some, you know, really good quality people in who can transform those businesses to do exactly what you've just said there. Yeah.
2: So for me, the, the increasingly important number one criteria of a leader in today's day and age and, and leading into the future is are they motivated and moved by a higher order, reason for being? Um You know, in the old days, we used to talk about vision, mission, and all of those horrible things. But today, we we talk about this real purpose. And it's also at risk, I guess, of being overtraded and, and, um, and therefore losing its meaning. But what is it that an organization and a leader actually is motivated by? Uh, Why do they get up in the morning? Why are they happy to sacrifice personal time with their families and other loved ones in order to pursue this ambition? Um, And so it's, it's it's the fire in the heart, not the mind, of the CEO that says, I want to do or deliver or shift or change this in the world. And I'm driven by that. And I'm going to be uncompromising, unrelenting in my pursuit of achieving that higher order purpose. To me, that's become really, really number one, and it's going to become even more important. COVID, again, has added to this drive to to elevate the role of understanding why you exist in the world. The other features, by the way, that are going to propel us even further are things like uh, the level of inequality in the world, um, the threat to capitalism as a sort of a fundamental economic philosophy or, or, or way of governing economic and social systems. Uh, even the notion of it's kind of liberal democracy, all of these are adding um, a voice and a volume to this debate. Let's press pause. Let's slow down and understand what is this game called life actually all about. And as a company, okay. so what do we need to do to be relevant in that?
1: Let's assume now, let, let's take our example um, a little bit uh, deeper. So um, we are now looking for a purposeful CEO, but I'm sitting on the board and I'm saying, Anton, hold on a minute. For generations here, we've done very well by having a profit focus short term, I admit, but our quarterly returns and our dividends for our shareholders are incredibly important. We would feel remiss at the board level to actually go and employ someone with a purposeful intent as opposed to a profit driven one. Do you at least have some examples to go and back up this claim that, that purpose is now becoming... A kind of critical differentiator.
2: Well, Colin, I think any board member that says the one uh, it's either or or it's purpose at the cost of profit, that board member should be fired um, and should be replaced. Because again, in the old world, it was binary, it was either this or that, it was profit versus purpose. Uh, in the new world, the conversation has shifted into profit and purpose. And if you look at it statistically now, there's a growing uh, and overwhelming uh, statistical evidence. But companies that are motivated and fueled by some form of higher order purpose that resonates with the people in the organization and with the marketplace actually end up in the medium to long term uh, delivering more profit, quantifiable bottom line after tax net profit than companies that are, whose purpose is solely to deliver shareholder value. So you remember, I think it was in August last year, maybe September last year, that Jamie Dimon and his tribe of 250 top CEOs in the US issued a statement. And in that statement, they said, we now recognize that the notion that companies are there for shareholder purposes and shareholder profit only has been fundamentally mistaken. It's one of them, and it needs to be, obviously, because you need to reward the investor that put the capital in. But actually, the role of a company in society needs to be much wider than that. Um, a friend and colleague, Raj Isadia wrote an amazing book a long time ago called Firms of Endearment, a lovely play on the, on the movie title, Terms of Endearment. Uh, and Raj proved, again, that there are, you know, those organizations that have a, a clear uh, raison d'etre that's powerful and emotional uh, actually end up making more profit 5, 10, 15 and 20 years than the S&P 500 uh, companies. Uh,
1: who are your favorite purposeful organizations at the moment? Sorry? Who are your favorite
2: purposeful organizations at the moment? Well, I think uh, to me, Procter Gamble is one of those that kind of comes to mind for lots of reasons. And by the way, on your CEO attributes, they're running a wonderful international competition uh, for, uh, for, for young students. And they say, do you know who should be our next CEO? Uh, please uh, come and present what your thoughts are on the attributes of Procter Gamble's future CEO. And they're running this competition globally amongst young people in any country in the world and the and the winners get flown to the states and it's a big gala event and of course through the process they identify some really fantastic young people that should be employing but um i, I think you know what what we've been taught on mba programs and business schools over the years is it's all it's all quantifiable quantitative metrics um and it's some CEOs, I guess, will be uncomfortable with the fact that one of the most important attributes is actually a very emotional, personal uh, feature.
1: Okay, so um, I'm buying into it. So we'd like you to take the job, but it's not as simple as just having a kind of purposeful intent. I mean, uh, I'd like you to come in and do Tesla, and our goal is to make sustainable transport commonplace, not build cars, or come to us at Unilever and, you know, to, to help make sustainable living commonplace. Well, yeah, could you go, you can go to discovery and try to help people live longer and, and healthier. So this purpose thing is is catching on, but just that alone isn't really going to go and move the dial too much. There's lots of other changes in leadership styles that are starting to be uh, to seriously be reported about. Maybe one day they'll get onto MBA courses, which are the sort of
2: you know the the ones
1: that you think are kind of most important in this VUCA world.
2: So the next one for me would be. Um... Uh, two combined, really, I guess, and they're they're closely they're close cousins. The, the one is a, a high level of curiosity outside your own industry, uh, and coupled with that is a, a a real ability to think in terms of systems theory. So, uh, as the world, as this ecosystem, you know, is is, and we're now beginning to understand the sort of bio theory, if you like, that everything is interconnected it's one ecosystem and it's like a balloon you press the balloon in one spot and it kind of pops out on the opposite end so it's it's a person who is able to think of the complexity of the world and the interrelationships between each of the levers that ceos pull as they're running their organizations you do this it's going to have multiple other effects Um, and, and and the curiosity is to understand what else is going around outside my industry uh, and what might that be? Uh, what impact might that have in my business? You know, it's it's really interesting, Colin, when you talk to a group of execs about their children uh, and ask them to share a story about what is it about their kids that they really find fascinating or scary. And they get very animated and they talk and they share ideas and they, you know, tell you my four-year-old hacked my home network password and, and so on and so forth. And then, after five or 10 minutes of this really lively debate, you ask them to say, so what does it mean for your company? And they kind of look at you sort of strangely and I said, what does it mean for your business? And when you have this conversation for half an hour, you see the penny drop that they've never ever thought about the implications for their business, judging from the behavior of their four, five or 15 year olds. Um, So (laughs) I think leadership needs to be curious about, you know things that are in front of us, things that are obvious, like the behavior of our kids, but also what's happening in other industries, in other parts of the world, in society generally, on the streets, what are people talking about? What are they feeling? What are they fearing? What are they dreaming about? And then have a strategic conversation about what does that all mean for my business? And then of course, to make decisions flowing from that. So the third uh, aspect of leadership is, you know, for heaven's sake, it's a complex world. Understand that there's not very often one right answer But uh, the ability to take fast decisions, I think, is crucially important. And, and, um, you know, I don't mean being dictatorial, I mean, you know, engaging in conversations, et cetera, et cetera. But so often you read, and, and it's prevalent in government, you know, we've got to communicate and talk and have workshops and forums and this and that and the next thing. But for heaven's sake, please take a decision. Uh, and if it's wrong, let's change it and, and execute with speed, but, but take a decision. And and that leads me to the next feature then, which is about execution. You know, we can have the finest strategy in the world. It's thought through, it's insightful, it's human, it's empathetic, it's you know, driven by a wonderful purpose and all of those good things. But if you can't actually go and do it, it's not worth an awful lot. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you get things done? How do you motivate people to go above and beyond? Uh, Not just to arrive, you know, for a paycheck after 30 days of time. Um, How do you motivate and excite people and how do you get them to get things done? Are you uh, a leader that's able to remove obstacles in an organization that prevents things from getting done? And, uh, you know, every one of us, every one of us on this call, I'm sure, would say, wow, you know, we have too many meetings and too much email guys, we're all adults, you know, we're all experienced, and we're all senior executives, why don't we fix it? Um, But we bleat about these things for decades. Uh, And so that's, it's the ability to cut through the nonsense, uh, to face up to the tough, to have the tough decisions and the tough conversations and get things done, you know, And, 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 and very often you have to get things done in the face of adversity, people will not like what you're doing, people will be threatened by it, people will be resistant, reluctant to change, of course and um, and and yet leaders need to have those tough conversations and pave the way for people that are desperate to make progress and I, I believe in the goodness of humanity i think everyone wants to kind of give their best but when you arrive at work and there's so many obstacles then you just eventually get worn down you know um, like what you're
1: describing there sounds um
2: very sensible
1: when you think about it, it you know uh, you should be curious Another term there that um, is quite popular is have an outside-in approach to your business so that you're casting the net um, widely. You should be transparent. I think you know, you've got lots of examples of really great leaders who are incredibly transparent. Airbnb recently, when they were um, talking about retrenchments, is just one example. The decision-making is obviously critical. It doesn't have to be the right decision, but it's got to be a decision. So we've heard these things before. What is it that's preventing many existing leaders from doing these um, things, though? Because they they sound like everyone should be able to do this with a bit of thought. And yet that's not the case.
2: I think we've allowed ourselves as leaders, Colin, to get wrapped up in the machinations of large organizations. Uh, We've built a set of operating rules around us uh that kind of prevent or make it very difficult to do that um samantra who's no longer with us but uh, uh was a, a fantastic guy and he he's an indian that was born in calcutta uh was at the end of his life living in fontainebleau in france and he said you know organizations have a smell to them when you walk in an organization has a smell to it and he says some companies smell like calcutta in summer Right? it's a uh, it's 40 degrees Celsius it's 110 percent humidity and even when you're on holiday and you want to go and play a game of golf it's not possible all you want to do is just sit down and vegetate it's just oppressive and other companies smell like Fontainebleau it's a forest on a Sunday morning that a hectic tired week or exhausted all you want to do is walk in the forest slowly and just smell the fresh air and yet it's not possible <laughs> when you walk into that forest all you want to do is run skip hop and jump because It's not possible to be slow. And so companies smell like downtown Calcutta in the summer or they smell like Fontainebleau forest, right? And it's a consequence of of systems, of processes, of uh, little things. And it's not the big stuff. It's very often a whole bunch of really little things. But as leaders, we've kind of think we've elevated ourselves beyond seeing them and responding to them and reacting to them. Um, We've just allowed them to germinate and multiply in our organizations. We've tolerated what I call corporate terrorists Uh, you know these are people that say yes in the meeting and then go leave the meeting and stab you in the back and make sure the new project doesn't work because they feel threatened by it they actively try and undermine what it is you're trying to achieve and as leaders we know they exist but we tolerate them why for heaven's sake you know there's so many big things in the world we need to fix um, and we're not going to succeed if we allow these sort of behaviors to overwhelm us
1: if we're going to go and start that change then presumably we've got to get other people to go and believe that a change is required that there's a problem i get the feeling that a lot of leadership teams it's quite comfy it's not comfy as in it's not stressful but at least the stress is understandable it's what they've been through for for many years and they're not being asked to go and take a step back and and really review whether they've got significant unconscious bias and whether they uh, need to be more transparent and quite fundamentally change the way that they lead how do you start them on that particular journey well, you know, it's it's right, often let's set- let's make it even harder you answer. Let's let's put that as a question to say: How do you go and start them on that journey when they're in companies
2: that are actually currently profitable and doing reasonably well? The hardest time to instigate change. Absolutely. I mean, you know, success is is a demon because it it, it makes you complacent. It makes you feel overconfident in your own ability to get things right or do things correctly, etc. So, I think the 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 check is to yeah. I mean, it's either carrot or stick, right? If it's stick, it's to try and persuade uh, the team or the leader, um, you know, of the uh, the potential for disintermediation, irrelevance, new competition, changing business model, etc. It's the stick. If you don't change, it's going to hit you a year, two or three down the line. The other, of course, uh, and it's one that I prefer, um, is the carrot because the stick is often motivated with a quantitative analysis in excel and pie charts and and really no great change in the world has ever been triggered by excel um, indeed martin luther king you know didn't say i have a budget or strategy in a spreadsheet um, he said i have a dream and to me it's the carrot approach column that i found more exciting is when you ignite the aspiration to do more better uh, for more Uh, for a better set of reasons and in the process deliver more return to those innovators and investors in your organization and yourself as the leader you need a you leave a a, you know more profound legacy in the world to me that's always been much more powerful uh, because then the difficult decisions become easier when you're inspired at an emotional level you know uh, people that have worked with me know and they chuckle when i use the word goosebumps because to me it's it's such a it's such a simple but visceral physical reaction to a story that a CEO tells. If you don't get changed at any, or impacted by at an emotional level, boy, the tough decisions that you might have to take are gonna be so much more difficult if all you're relying on is Excel. You know. Uh, and I guess you know, and that's why we have performance conversations with people based on the standard uh, distribution curve, you know, because it's easier to say, well, you know, the Excel tells me to the second decimal place that you're in that quadrant. Therefore, your pay grade is that, and that's you know, r- that rather than have a very difficult, imprecise uh, conversation with someone about what their true potential is, what value they're bringing, what they need to work on, etc. That's difficult. You mentioned earlier that. Um one of the critical
1: roles, I think use different wording, but it, we're going to use Inspire because it's the series name. Leaders today have got to find ways to inspire their teams. So we've got the purpose, and I think that helps because if you can have something which emotionally resonates, it's easier to find people that want to go on the journey. What else with you know, the, the changes that we're seeing, can leaders or should leaders be doing, which they typically don't, to inspire everyone, all of their stakeholders from staff through to customers to go on these journeys with them? And let's say, I can tell you what it's not. It's not sitting in their, you know, executive committee, you know, and meetings day in, day out, talking strategy and and revolving problems. That's definitely not going to be inspiring people at scale. It it possibly might inspire some of the people that they're connecting with directly on a regular basis. But for large organizations, I I don't feel that's enough. What else can they do? I think one of the most important
2: things is uh, collaboration um you know how do you build collaborative relationships not only with your own people but people in your ecosystem your supply chain and and call to that is storytelling you know can you tell a story um that makes someone sit up and listen that helps someone understand their role in making the story come real and come alive and and how exciting that will be um and, and you need to be able to do that at every level of the organization some of the great leaders that i've worked with uh, had the privilege of working with in my career over sort of m- multiple industries um, have been really good at sitting down with a very junior member of the team and just chatting to them about a how they're feeling but b about what the organization is trying to achieve and sometimes these have been big organizations with lofty ambitions but telling a story that makes it understandable and real for the receptionist or the security guard at the entrance gate to the office complex and helping them think through how they can participate in that ambition uh, in their own small way. And what I've also realized, you know, again, having done the MBA and been involved in many businesses, it's when when those sorts of people understand what it is the journey is all about and how they can play a a real meaningful part in it, then they start doing little things that have exponential impacts. I'll tell you one of my favorite stories, Colin, is of a a security guard in one of the buildings in, in one of the companies uh, in this country. And of course, all of us arrive at a big, fancy marble office block with stainless steel and blah, 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 blah. And the first thing we have to do is meet the security guard and sign that stupid security register, right? And we all, every one of us, hates it. And we all know it serves no real practical purpose. The book is dock ear, dog eared the pen hardly ever works, et cetera. And so we just scribble stuff that are illegible and so we described uh, this to the security guard and we said how can you make the experience of our clients better when they arrive here and uh, and we said you know that they, they all hate this book that you always shove under their nose and he came back to us a week or two later he said tell me he said you know all your customers really well don't you And he said yes we do we've gone through due diligence kyc all of that wonderful stuff he said well why don't you put a tiny little green sticker on the windscreen of all your customers cars so that when a car draws up at my boom gates uh, you know in a multi-tenant building the green sticker car i say good morning ma'am good morning sir and i wave them through with a smile <laughs> i can't tell you the difference that customers customers fam- one what <laughs> exponential impact zero cost tiny little thing but it came from inspiring the lowest-paid person on the payroll to think about how they could play a part in the company journey. So here's a quick
1: list of some of the items that that you've highlighted: purpose, which we're going to come back to again in a minute; curiosity, outside-in thinking, uh, transparency, authenticity, um, passionate sort of execution, um, experimentation comes through as a sort of a generic theme that goes with all of these things, and. In many ways, for a lot of leaders, I think a lot of these are quite challenging. Mystery shopping, that was another one that you mentioned. It's so kind of obvious, really, if you want to go and de-layer and find out what's happening faster. There's a lovely example. If we have time, we can explore in a wee bit. Those are important steps for people if they want to be making their organizations more adaptable, right, so that they can actually pivot quicker and, and experiment but we've got quite a few questions coming from purpose so i'm I'm just going to leave those now and let's go and pick through some of these um have you got examples of purposeful organizations that place purpose before profits i definitely know you've got a a couple we were chatting about one or two before actually the call started there anton
2: yeah so uh, i think uh, patagonia clothes is absolutely one of those uh you know their their whole purpose is all about the environment and nature Uh, Outdoors, and so they do outdoor clothing, adventure clothing, even adventure equipment and so forth. And the thing about purpose, Colin, is it's all very well having a, a purpose that's emotional and gives you goosebumps when you hear it and so on and so forth, but you've also got to stand up for it. And Patagonia had the courage to do the almost unthinkable. When the president of America cut back on the funding for the maintenance of America's natural nature parks, Patagonia sued the president of America now you know that takes some doing and it's probably career limiting in many respects uh, particularly with the kind of current president but that's what you've got to do so when you have a purpose it's not just about the fluffy words um you know it's about doing things that are real hard tangible and sometimes very very difficult to give credence to it so patagonia is one i think holly davidson is another they've created a, a sort of a, a cult a following, um, you know, at a visceral level amongst their consumer base, uh, and, they, and they stand up for that. I think in South Africa, I mean, you know, Adrian Born, Discovery, um, it's an interesting one, because in many respects, he ticks absolutely all the boxes. And I have to say that Discovery is one of the big companies that I engage with personally, that actually early on in COVID, maybe after a month. Actually phoned up and said, Anton, this is, this is not a sales call about your life cover or your medical cover or this or that. We just want to know how you're doing. And and that took me a bit by surprise. Like I was expecting the next sentence to be, and by the way, we have another product. It wasn't there. It was just about, I want to know how you, Carla and Ashley, my family, and they knew the names we're doing. not difficult to know the names. I pay their premiums every month. Um, you know, on the other hand, it's it's, it's not the cheapest. Uh, there's They do have a big fancy building and so forth. But I think he's more successfully than most been able to blend the uh, the, the finance and the story really, really powerfully.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And in answer to the question, um, I think there's lots of sources. If you want to go and explore more, if you just do a search for purposeful organizations, you're going to find a lot of websites that highlight these examples. If you follow Harvard Business Review, it's popular at the moment. If you follow... Uh, The B team, you're going to find examples. That's Richard Branson. I think um, if you look for exponential organisations, the top 100, you're going to find examples. So this isn't a, um, let's call it not a new thing, but I think it's a thing which is generating a lot of interest at the moment, particularly because of COVID-19. And you're seeing more and more leaders and organisations want to go down this purposeful route. And And I guess one of the reasons is because you're now able to bring together this, we have to be making something that solves a societal problem and we can do it at scale and therefore it can generate profit. So we really can refocus on doing things which are good for the planet. That's a technology driven thought process. And you've got people there that want it, the customers, the uh, six or 7 billion people out there that really want to go and deal with those sorts of organizations. So yeah, there are lots of organize, um, examples. And if you want more, just ping me or pink Anton and, and we'll share some of those websites. I love the next question. Do you see evidence of purpose-driven organizations? Um, what is it? How do you see the evidence of purpose-driven organizations and not just simple slogans? My, my view is you can smell organizations that just have these as slogans, because you, you, you know, uh, Anton, what do you think?
2: No, I mean, it's, it's a smell. I mean, I use the Calcutta Fontainebleau story, so, so let's stick with smell. You just know it. you just feel it. You experience it, you feel it, it's real, it's tangible. Um,
1: and, and can we use one example, and we're not going to mention any names, just in case they're on the call. I'm not going to choose, and I don't have to because it's an industry problem. It's an industry I'm from, banking. I can promise you, every bank has some kind of purposeful statement on their website, and I can promise you, I don't know any banks, realistically, that are legacy banks that really have a strong purpose at the heart of their DNA.
2: Yeah. Okay. And I think that, Colin, is just highlighted. And if you take some of the big oil majors are exactly the same, right? I mean, you know, one of the big ones, BP, changed its name and its logo, became a sunflower. And it was all about beyond petroleum, the planet, the environment, all of the good stuff. But but then they lied to us about what happens when there's a big oil spill uh, and so on and so forth. So you, you just know the authenticity. And I guess that's a, a dimension of leadership that I haven't mentioned yet is, is authenticity and and I preferred maybe to use the word human, just be a good human as as a leader. You know, understand what humanness is all about uh, and don't, you know, take on board the fancy trappings of the title and the salary and the share options and so forth. Just understand what your behavior, what your role means for ordinary people in every level of society um, and, and deliver that consistently and authentically. And people just get to understand it. They really, really do um you know i can think of some of the south african retailers that you know do a huge amount of good no question about it um but then but then they'll wrap everything in plastic in the fruit basket and they'll reduce the quantity from 400 grams to 300 grams with the price goes up five percent you know and and things like that i what we've got i mean
1: simon we've just called in and we'll, we'll hand over into in a second but and the questions are coming in they and fast towards the end, but maybe I just missed them, which is uh, a shame. We'll try to answer them perhaps later as an email. But anyway, how would one approach? I just love this question because it's such so it cuts to the chase so nicely. How would one approach senior management with the suggestion of them to put themselves in the customer's shoes and to go through the process that our clients go through daily? The mystery shopping example. I'm thinking of some CEOs and, and organisations that I mentioned. I would say ask them. Are they brave enough? But especially with. Um, the view that some of the the senior executives at least appear to be quite confident that they know best and don't need to do that.
2: Just ask them if they're brave enough. And if they think they know best, if they think they're going to have a great experience, invite them to enjoy a great experience. (laughs) And then see what the feedback is. Um, Yeah. By the way, Capitec to give
1: dues to the banks in South Africa, at least our one bank where I do know their executives do mystery shop and get involved quite detailed on a regular basis at least once a month in the customer gin. And I think the results are telling.
3: Simon. So we come off mute. How are you? <laughs> Hi, Simon. Yeah. yeah, I'm Colin, thanks very much. I mean, we've been uh, to all our customers uh, out there. We've been on an incredible journey with both Future World and Colin from Innovation Catalysts as an organization. As you all know, we've been through quite a bit as an organization. And uh, our group CEO, Stephen van Koller, has taken us on a journey, an exponential journey, or a journey toward becoming an exponential organization. And for me, I think one of the most poignant things in working with, uh, with Anton and Colin has been the framing of our, our purpose. Uh, and, and I think in that, that process of shaping how we become an exponential uh, organization with a wealth of capability that we have, as Ayoka, we frame this purpose uh, around the word solve Uh, so an organization with such rich capability that can do such amazing things for clients uh, we we found this one word and and what's been incredible um, is to see how a purpose statement of, of solve exponentially courageously and together has actually shaped the way our people have started to think about customers behave engage with clients and so from that point of view we're on a journey, we're by no means there yet, but certainly um, uh, a long way down the road becoming a purposeful organisation. So, Anton, thanks very much for sharing some of the context of how that, that fits together. And, uh, and yeah, we we'll certainly be working with you and, and very open to our clients reaching out to you uh, to, to explore this further. Just a shout out and a mention to some of you on the call today. Investec, Distel, Sassel, the Mimecast team, thanks for joining us, one of our partners, Nampac, Transnet, uh, Stephanie D. Stocks, AB InBev, just to name a few. Uh, We thank you for participating in today's session. We hope you've been inspired and for all the time you've given us over the past four weeks to join us for this uh, IOKO Inspire series. But also beyond uh, Anton today, just like to thank... uh, Charles Savage from Easy Equities, Zafar Mohammed Zaff from Sal C, Shah um, from Resolve, and, uh, and our comedian, John Vismus, who joined us from Henley last week. I think every week we've had fantastic feedback from your clients. Things like thought-provoking, inspiring, refreshing, insightful, and, uh, and that's been great to see that in this chaos of COVID, we can break out for an hour, just spend some time with you to think, uh, you know, beyond the normal uh, about our futures. And, and 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 I think these things equip us to to handle change. Um, so please look out for the second uh, uh, in our series, in our Inspire series. We've had five now. We're going to be taking a short break for a couple of weeks and coming back during the month of, of August, hopefully with a power-packed ed- edition with a similar theme, and, and hopefully something that you'll feel and find uh, is valuable in your, uh, in your journeys and in, in still hopefully less of lockdown then, but uh, but yeah, we hope it's helping. We're also launching something called the Ioko Solve Think Tank, uh, which is going to be uh, something we're doing again with Colin. Uh, it's it's going to be an opportunity for us to frame uh, a challenge. So it's a, a pilot uh, session, frame a challenge, probably a social challenge. But we leave that up to you as clients uh, and we're going to be getting together with you in a session like this to work together in remote rooms uh, to use exponential principles to try and take on and tackle uh, a challenge that we can solve together we're really looking forward to that it's going to be a, a first for us doing it with you but hopefully that's going to work the success of this series uh, wouldn't have been possible without you so once again thanks to all of you to everyone to our marketing team to put it together uh, thanks very much. Uh, goodbye and stay safe. Thanks, Colin. Yeah, thank you, Simon. And Anton, last so, words?
2: Folks, you know, think, don't be trapped by the realities of you know, getting through the, the current time. It will end, the sun will rise, and there's, there's a, an exciting world waiting for us if we think differently about what it is we should be doing as organisations, as also as individuals. My favourite word at the moment, I guess, is recalibrate, I think we all understand kind of what that means. But I think if we just change our thinking about why we exist, what it is that's valuable. Let's get out there and and make South Africa and the world a better place. Thanks everyone for listening.
1: Thanks Anton, thanks Simon, and we'll see you again, hopefully in a couple of weeks. Stay safe.